Hey there, welcome to Hangry Thoughts, the podcast where we dish out on the best bites on intuitive eating, nurture a healthy relationship with food, and of course, bust some nutrition myths, because fork diet culture. I'm your host, Abby Roberts, non-diet intuitive eating dietitian and an ADHD girly, here to guide you through a joyful journey towards feeling amazing in your own skin and enjoying all foods. Join me as we navigate the world of food with a fresh perspective where guilt-free nourishment and mindful eating take center stage. Together, we'll tackle the myths that may leave you feeling a little hangry or hungry for the real facts. So grab your fork, your favorite snack, and let's dive into the Hangry Thoughts podcast because it is time to embrace a vibrant, satisfying, and empowered approach to food and wellness. All right, welcome back to another episode of Hangry Thoughts. I am so excited to be here. I'm your host, Abby, and man, what a weekend. So lately, especially with fall and winter coming up, I just really wanted to rearrange our our house, and I just, I wanted to be able to face the fireplace and the TV the way we had our our living room set up was the couch was against the same wall as the fireplace and then we were crammed and like looking at the tv and it just I don't know I I I didn't feel good with it you know when you walk into your home and you're like something's missing something's off I, I it doesn't feel the way that I want it to feel whether it's like that homey feel that comfortableness I don't know you know I think you know what I'm saying but And my ADHD was like, you need to change everything in this house right now. And Drew, who does not have ADHD, was like, what What the fuck? Like, why are you freaking out over this? Like, just calm down. Turn that dial back just a smidgen. And let's chat about what you want the place to look like. So I got up my little tape measure and I'm like going around measuring the couch and the ottoman and, you know, where our chair is, the rug, whatever. And I'm like, okay, I have this vision and it's going to look so good. Like the couch will go here, we'll move the bookshelf there, put the mirror on that wall, move these pictures here. And he's like, no, that's not going to look good. Oh my God. I was like, listen, man, we need to do this. (laughs) He's like, listen, my ADHD will not let me move on to any other task for this entire weekend if we don't do this right now. So we compromised and we we rearranged the stuff <laughs> and it looks so good not to pat myself on the own back but it looks so good maybe I should quit my day job and just be an interior designer no I definitely won't do that um but I love it it's so much more homey we can see the fireplace we can see the tv and there's actually more space which very pumped about that you know, when you're living in like a one floor, one bedroom place, you just, you want all of the space that you can absolutely get. So super happy about that. The cats right now are just roaming around, trying to figure out the new digs, trying to figure out their new uh, hiding or sleeping spots. So that's what I did this weekend. And then of course I was hangry and I was like, I have another podcast episode that I want to record. And it's all about BMI. So let's get into it. Okay, what do we know about BMI? Well, it's this number 
that's intended to be an estimate of body fat calculated by dividing your weight in height, uh, your weight in height, (laughs) your weight in kilograms by height in meters squared. So literally what in the world does squaring one's height and comparing it to your body weight, does that tell us anything about body fat? Mm, It doesn't. It doesn't. So in another episode, because it needs a lot of time to unpack, the fear of fatness or the war on obesity took off in the 18th century. At the time, there were these scientists that were arguing that, quote unquote, fat was bad, specifically because they believed it was linked to, actually, no, 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 let me not even say that. Well, let me back up. At the time, science began to argue that fat was bad specifically because it was linked to more women of color. Right. Right. I know. I know. We're all thinking the same thing. What the fuck? So um, another name that I'm going to butcher, which is actually so funny because in the the episode where I talked about someone's body is not a disease, um, I said Adolf Quiddlet. (laughs) Which, so uncultured of me, his name is, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it in the French way because I will not do justice. I I will make a fool out of myself. So I'm going to pronounce it the way that it's, at least Google or Wikipedia was telling me it's pronounced um, without the accent. It's Adolphe Quetelet. 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 <laughs> so this other guy. George Louis Lecterec, Le- Lecterec, Le- 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 <laughs> anyways, that's not really important. He's a renowned scientist, repeated by many, and has many quotes and many different studies, and I will link it in the show notes. But he has a quote from him that says, start quote, Chinese people, while not all fat and bulky, consider being so as an ornament to the human figure, end quote. I just had to pause there because what? Did anyone else throw up in their mouth a little bit? To add to the monstrosity of this kind of statement, he was also quoted saying, quote, one can find many Chinese women with enormous bellies, end quote. And that, quote, enormous bellies are noticeable deficit among women in African tribes, end quote. This is a man that is helping to redefine or helping to define during this time in the 18th century what health is and what this ideal body looks like. And he's racist AF. So it's no wonder that when Adolphe Kittelet, however you say his name, came along, that people were like, oh. He must be right. He's another white man. <sighs> so these ideas made their way into the medical world through eugenics, which is a late 19th to mid 20th century movement to promote so-called better breeding. Ugh. AKA white male scientists wanted to identify qualities to be cultivated and then quote unquote defects to be eradicated through selective breeding. Race and weight were intrinsic to their concerns. Isn't that just repulsive? Hmm. So we're going to take a trip to the 19th century. 
the creator of BMI, whose name you will never forget because I've said it so many times in so many different dialects, is Adolf Ketelet, a man who studied many things, astrology, statistics, math, but not medicine. No, no, no. That would make too much sense for a man who is telling us what health should be based on to be studying medicine. <laughs> oh, I can't even I can't even keep a straight face. So like so many others before him, predominantly other white men, he was passionate about figuring out what the quote unquote average man looked like. In Kittlet's book, A Treatise on Man and the Development of His Faculties, he wrote, quote, if the average man were completely determined, we might consider him as the type of perfection and anything differing from his proportion or condition would constitute deformity or disease or monstrosity, end quote. Now you can't see me right now, but my eyes are rolled all the way into my head all the way into the back of my head. My eyes are gone. Um, I've lost all brain cells. I'm drooling right now profusely. And um, yeah, we are just, what the heck? (laughs) It makes me so mad that BMI has been the source of so much shame and stigma and it literally means nothing. Mm. But we'll get into this. That's what this whole episode is about, unveiling, lifting the curtain back on BMI and showing you how forked up it is. Like the narcissist that Kittle is, he collected data primarily from other white European men, 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 because those were his favorites. His thinking went a little something like this, quote, you could take thousands of measurements, compare them amongst each other and him and myself and find the ideal weight, end quote. Through calculating these samples, he found that weight typically increased in relation to the square height of a person. But have you ever wondered, does this equation make any fucking sense? <laughs> oh my God, me too. I'm twins. Kettle had to square the height in order to get a formula that matched his data set. Like, there is not a a physiologic reason to do this. So basically, his motto was, if you can't get the data right, rig the formula. What the heck? What the heck? BMI was never intended to be used for health purposes. Instead, it was initially used to categorize and look at the distribution of a population But population averages cannot determine anything at the individual level. And don't even get me started on determining ideal, what normal is, or perfection. Because that's icky. Even if we could, why would we even want to quantify that? It's just, it blows my mind that... This idea has been with us for so long and has shaped the way that we view health, our bodies, what a quote-unquote acceptable body is, what a quote-unquote healthy body is. 
And like I said before, there is so much shame and guilt and stigma wrapped up into the BMI. And it is a measurement that truly doesn't mean a thing. It truly doesn't mean a thing. But the simplicity of the equation is unmatched because why not make this equation as easy as we can to determine someone's body composition, even though it doesn't really determine their body composition. So insurance companies ran with this shit. Fast forward to the 20th century and we have health and life insurance companies adopting the BMI. Oof. So this replaced what they initially had of these height weight tables whose data set was used primarily um, from the stats of white people. So it's still following the same trend that BMI is on where we don't have a diverse population to study. We don't have diverse data, but we're still going to use it to measure all people. Cool. As you can see, we're headed in a very woke direction. (laughs) This is actually a significant history of BMI because now insurers could start using this information and guidelines to determine coverage. Doctors could use this information to determine if they wanted to take on a patient. And insurers could then use this to cover quote-unquote overweight patients. And I'll repeat something that I said in a different episode that as a provider, I do not use the words or the terms that are associated with the BMI. This is because exactly of this. The BMI holds so much negativity and belief that we know something about a person's health, depending if they fall in the underweight, normal weight, overweight, obese, whatever ranges. When You know, I I think a really good example with BMI and just talking about the BS of this equation is if you look at, let's say, like a, I don't know, a person that does triathlons, right? We can probably assume that this person has some solid muscle mass, right? We can probably assume that they are a very active individual, that they have a good chunk of body composition coming from muscle mass. And so we also know that muscle weighs more than fat mass. So if a person steps on a scale, their weight may be a certain number, which will then, of course, skew what the BMI is. Because BMI isn't really looking at body composition. It can't differ between body fat, muscle mass, bone density, etc. It just wraps it all up and ties it in a pretty bow and counts it as one. So someone that's a triathlete, that's very active, is maybe eating lots of fruits and veggies, let's say they also have good mental health, they have access to medical care, like all the things, they might show up as obese on the BMI. And that is a very clear distinction as to where BMI runs wrong, but also within the terms. So when we are calling someone under weight, normal weight, over obese, Think about the feelings that come from those words, the associated feelings, and maybe even like the look from the doctor. If you are someone that resides in a larger body and have been told by your doctor that you live in a overweight or obese body, what were those feelings that were present? Probably not good. Good. 
a lot of the times in the doctor's office, and and I don't want to lump all doctors into this because that's not fair. There are certainly doctors out there that are, are stepping more into the health at every size space and having more inclusive care, especially weight inclusive care, which is so, so important. And we'll touch on that in a sec. But there are a lot of doctors that still hold the BMI as the holy grail. And this is problematic because if a person steps on the scale, their weight is measured, their BMI is overweight or obese, it's almost like clockwork that the doctor starts talking to that person about their weight, their diet habits, and their exercise. And they don't even ask them maybe the reason for their visit. They don't ask them anything deeper on what's your mental health like, what's your access to food like, financial stability, financial health, um, work, social, and environment. So many of these aspects of our health get swept under the rug because we believe diet and exercise are the two main factors to someone's weight. But this isn't true. This is not true. There's a handout that I share with a lot of my clients on this. It's like a pie chart and it's looking at these determinants of health. And when we look at the determinants of health, it's really easy to, again, just think diet and exercise, but we need to zoom out away from that. And we need to look at these other factors that are even more important. So one of these being, you know, we think of our individual behaviors and actually 36% of our health is coming from that. So individual behaviors might include things like our mental health. So depression, stress, anxiety, um, happiness level. Other things would be our um, drug use, our sleep patterns, diet patterns, physical activity, um, weapon access behavior, social activity, sexual activity, motor vehicle behavior, optimism level, um, cognitive function, self-efficacy, and so many more. So even at the individual level, that 36% of this chunk, we could even break that up more and then see that diet and exercise take up maybe, maybe 5% of this whole chart of health. The next part in this chart is our social social circumstances, which takes up 24% of this determinant of health. So things that might be included in this would be um, our income level, individual and family, uh, education level, occupation, language and literacy level, community cultural uh, norms, quantity of community support, quality of family support, quality of friend support, intimate relationships, family cultural norms, religious involvement, history of incarceration, military service, gender identity, work conditions, uh, discrimination, social connectedness. Wow. That's a lot of stuff. And that's that's just scratching the surface. The next 22% comes from genetics and biology. So these are things such as height, weight, 
uh, waist-hip ratio, DEXA scan, which is showing more like bone density, muscle mass, um, our serum protein testing, uh, sensory system testing, motor system testing, strength testing, genetic tests like uh, our genes, chromosomes, uh, gender, age, a lot more things, huh? Now let's look at uh, 11% of medical care. So this would be what is our access to medical care like? Vaccines and immunizations, provider cultural competency, quality of insurance, uh, distance to resources, provider availability, health literacy, access to, I said that one, access to healthcare, patient engagement, quality of health care, equal care. And the last little slice of our pie is 7% physical environment. So these are things that are coming from like the U.S. Census, U.S. Census American Community Survey, National Health Interview Survey. These things include tobacco use or exposure, air quality, lead exposure levels, transportation quality, crime level, access to healthy foods, crowding conditions, job opportunities, public space, public space quality, educational opportunities, carcinogen exposure, water quality, pollution, allergens, exposure to firearms, and more. Oh, my goodness. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go throughout the rest of this episode, that health is so broad. And being a healthy person is also so subjective that we can't just look at a person's body size or a person's BMI for that matter and go, yep, I know everything there is to know about you and your health. Mm -mm, It don't work that way. Okay, next part. Let's move off my tangent and let's get back to BMI. Okay, in 1998, The U.S. National Institutes of Health brought U.S. definitions in line with the WHO, or the World Health Organization guidelines, meaning they lowered the BMI cutoffs. I know, I know, I know. The overweight threshold was lowered from 27.8 to 25. So this instantaneously converted millions of people from being considered normal weight per BMI to overweight. I mean, can you imagine the headlines for this? I couldn't. So I looked a couple up. One of them said, from CNN, who's fat? New definition adopted. Millions of Americans became fat on Wednesday, even if they didn't gain a pound. Another one from the New York Times was, the U.S. to widen its definition of who is fat. (laughs) Now, what about BMI around the world? Should all of them be the same, right? Like, if we're going to use this for health measuring purposes... It should all be the same. We should have one standard. (laughs) Nope. In Asia, the normal weight cutoff is 22.9. I also didn't know this. I had to look this up. Shocking, but also kind of not that shocking. You know what I'm saying? The BMI takes someone who felt fine in their current state of health and neutral or accepting of their body. And it tells a person, no. Your lived experience doesn't matter. You will not be healthy so long as you are X number on the BMI. Ugh, that hurts my heart. For so many individuals, a BMI label goes beyond 
just a number. It may lead to feelings of shame and adverse health outcomes that were never associated with body weight in the first place. Take a look back at those determinants of health. So many of those, the majority of those, are not related to weight or body size. Someone's body size is not a disease and correlation does not equal causation. A person can be in a larger body and healthy or unhealthy the exact same way a straight-sized person can be healthy or unhealthy. It's also important for us to note that you do not have to be healthy in order to deserve equal access to health care. You can be quote-unquote unhealthy, whether that is per bullshit BMI standards or if subjectively you view yourself as unhealthy and still deserve a healthy relationship with food, a neutral accepting or positive relationship with your body, despite or not not despite and be unhealthy. Does that make sense? Maybe I didn't word that. Maybe I didn't word that great. You deserve all of these things no matter what. Hard stop end of sentence. That's it. BMI though suggests that there are distinct categories of health based on if you're considered underweight, normal weight, um, or ideal, overweight, or obese. And this scale has sharp boundaries. This scale of BMI to the decimal point to tell you just how not, quote-unquote, ideal your body is. WTF. Let's look at a few more ways as to why we need to yeet the BMI. <laughs> I have so many here and I, I could list so many more. But to keep this as concise as possible, number one, current BMI standards are based on the imagined ideal male Caucasian. If you haven't caught on by now, ideal is in hard quotation marks. <laughs> The next, higher or lower body weights may be healthier or ideal for different groups of people. Now, if you were to go out in public, whether it's like transportation, on the sidewalk, at the gym, whatever you're doing, and just look around at the people that are near you, would they all have the same body size? Would they have the same body shape, weight, distribution? Hell no. No, 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 no. That only lives on Instagram. The perfect, the ideal, the perfectly proportioned body. No, that's Instagram. That's not real life. Because again, ideal is still very subjective. If it's outside of talking about like BMI standards, because that is, that is a really hard stigma that they place through that. And again, when Adolf Kotelet, when he, when he determined the BMI scale and deemed this to be the ideal average man, that was 200 years ago. We've been dealing with the idea of the ideal body for 200 years. So it's no wonder that we feel this pressure to conform to a certain body weight, shape, or size. It's no it's no, it's, it's a no brainer that we 
feel this need to Photoshop our pictures on social media, that we feel the need to squeeze our body into a certain size clothing, because we've been being told for 200 years that fat is bad, that anything above normal weight on the BMI scale is bad. The next one, there is more research being conducted around health at every size. Yes. People with higher weights and therefore BMIs can still be healthy. This helps place BMI as a root cause of weight stigma and bias. Because people with higher BMIs tend to get less quality care. Remember what I said in the beginning. If that person goes into the doctor and they're there for like strep throat, the doctor might just totally wave that and go, now what's your diet been lately? Right? I just read, I I can't remember what creator posted this, but I read something on Instagram from a fellow non-diet, anti-diet, whatever you want to call us, dietitian, where someone wrote in and said, I am in a larger body. And I've been trying to go to the doctor's office for years, upwards of three years now for my lower back pain. And I've been dismissed every single time. And it's been chalked up to my weight, needing to lose weight, change my diet, exercise more. And no one has listened. This person was recently diagnosed with kidney cancer. And that was the root cause of her back pain. And when I read this story, I went, damn, how messed up is it that we live in this world that doesn't listen to people's pain and doesn't believe them when they say, hey, my back hurts. Why are we blaming weight on everything? When we look at this research, we know that weight is not this root cause. Again, correlation does not equal causation. So it is forked up as hell that we are continuing to place that stigma and blame on the individual, especially when we're using it, the BMI, to further that stigma. And the BMI is a joke, a joke. Have you guys watched um, I Think You Should Leave? I'm joking. I'm just joking. (laughs) God, I love that show. Don't judge me if you don't like that show. Okay, next one. We have too much focus on weight, and this may promote disordered eating behaviors. That one's really important. We have this continued reliance on BMI, so this means that doctors can continue to base health off of one stupid metric, further promoting weight bias. Weight bias bias can deter people from seeking care, leading to worse health outcomes. Another of Weight stigma is a strong predictor of adverse health outcomes because, again, if you're going to go to the doctor and experience weight stigma, why the hell do you want to go to the doctor? I might as well just sit at home and, quote unquote, deal with this pain or this uncomfortability than have to deal with that stigma. And again, for the trillionth time of this podcast existence already, correlation does not equal causation. Hint, episode one. So, wow, that's a lot. That's a lot to take in. BMI has a very bizarre and racist history and rooted in just that, racism. 
anti-fat bias. Looking at a population and using that at the individual level to determine health. And that's forked up. And that's why I'm hangry. I'm tired of these providers continuing to use BMI as if this is this is it. As if this is truly what we need to, to know about our, ourselves and our health. And I feel for so many of you out there that have felt this stigma from providers or if you've if you've placed this blame on yourself it makes sense that that's present i mean look at all of the things that we just talked about but it's not your fault it is not your fault personally i would like to blame adolf kulalet kulalet God, his name is hard to pronounce. But I've also, I think it's more of this. I've pronounced his name wrong so many times that I can't remember what the actual pronunciation of it is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Do you, Is there like a word that you have that you've pronounced it wrong so many times that you can never pronounce it right, even though you know the right pronunciation? <laughs> but it doesn't matter because that guy sucks. <laughs> Anyways, anyways, I hope that this episode elicited some of your hangry thoughts surrounding BMI. I hope that it validated your hangry thoughts surrounding BMI. And I hope you gain another perspective on this. I hope that we can continue to move forward with our non-diet intuitive eating. It is okay to accept and feel neutral in your current body as it exists now. Movement. Because man, life is, life feels better outside of diet culture. Life feels better in the sense of your mind is no longer insanely occupied by thoughts of changing your body, feeling negative about your body, feeling guilty about eating certain foods, wondering which diet you're going to go on next, worrying about what type of food is in this meal that you just got at the restaurant because that's a full-time job. I don't mean to say that being a full, full-time full intuitive eater means that those thoughts completely go away because you're human. Diet culture also still exists. These thoughts can and may still come up, but the difference is we gain the tools to support ourselves around those things. We learn how to set boundaries. We we gain different perspectives. And so when these thoughts, whether they're uncomfortable, they're negative or whatever they are, come up or these situations, we have tools against them. We have tools to be compassionate with ourselves, hold non-judgment for ourselves and go, <laughs> fork you diet culture. Bye. <sighs> BMI. BMI have beef. BMI beef. I don't like you. In the show notes, I'm going to link all of the citations and things that I use to create this episode because I'm coming to y'all with the facts. We're busting nutrition myths. We're taking down diet culture and we are taking names. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you stayed this long, you are an angel for sticking with me. (laughs) And 
I'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye.